0: going to be talking about prayer this morning through the lens of the next stage of um, our Joshua series, um, just so you know. So that's what we're going to be doing. we're going to start this morning with a quick video um, that I'd love to show you. It's about a lady called Kelly Green, and I saw this um, clip a few years ago, a couple of years ago, and I love it, and it stayed with me. Um, Kelly Green is a lady, she's an American lady, she moved from um, her childhood home down to a place called Boys Town, which is in Mexico. Um, It's it's a walled, shanty town in Mexico on the border um, with the States, and it's a town that is known for its high levels of prostitution, um, crime, and drug use. And I just want to show you this little clip about her and her a remarkable story, and then I'll come back up.
1: We're all called as followers of Jesus to love our neighbors. My neighbors are prostitutes and drug addicts and drug dealers and members of Mexican Mafia. My name is Kelly Green and I work in Boys Town. (laughs) Don't tell my mom! Boys Town is set up by the Mexican government, it's a walled-in red light district. It's home to about two to three hundred men, women, and children living and working inside the walls. Some as prostitutes, some as drug dealers, some as bar owners, pimps, Mexican Mafia, you name it. The walls of Boys Town are home to loads and loads of prodigal sons and daughters. There's one opening that serves as the entrance and the exit. One way in, one way out. You find uniformed Mexican police officers that take your money when you go in. But really, who runs Boys Town is the Mexican mafia. Soy la jefa. I sold everything that didn't fit in my car and found myself driving to the border of Mexico to somehow try to love the men and women of Boystown Town. Boys Town is completely enclosed in walls and it's been that way for 150 years. It's been torn down, rebuilt, patched up. And it's very symbolic of the walls that enclose the hearts of the men and women. I didn't have any great, brilliant strategies on how to reach Voice Town. I moved down here, didn't know anyone, didn't know what to do. I knew that I could pray, so I began to prayer walk around Boys Town. For 15 months, all I did was pray, and I felt like a bit of a failure. My prayers were like, God, do you hear this this time? Because I still don't know the names or stories of anyone who lives inside those walls. 15 months, nothing but praying, I felt crazy. Yolanda was one of the first people I actually met inside the walls of Boys Town. She's a 50-year-old prostitute who came to a day spa we set up in a crack bar. Yolanda was having her hair washed and she broke down in tears. She said, it feels like God is washing my hair. Before today, I didn't think that God existed, but you are like angels who have come to tell me that He's real. Prayer works. My calling is to follow Jesus and He found the broken ones and the forgotten ones. I get to go into Boystown and wipe the tears of people like Yolanda, kiss Lucia on the cheek, hold Virginia and listen to her stories. It is an honor and I have found Jesus inside of Boys Town. Now when I go in there, women literally run out of bars from wherever they are and they hug me. Their hearts have been softened. I know that I'm in a place that is violent and dangerous, especially as we look at getting girls out you're taking away income from people who could do some harm. We don't want to jeopardize the trust that we've built or jeopardize the safety of the men and women inside Boys Town by bringing cameras in. Sometimes my heart's pounding when I go in there because I don't know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. This is all I know. I know that Jesus promised he would never leave me or forsake me. I know that no matter what happens inside those walls or in my life, that he'll be with me. If he promises to be with me, then it's going to be okay. So yeah, there's some scary moments, but you have to be willing to take a risk. My dream for Boys Town is to see women who used to be prostitutes and men who used to be drug dealers and drug addicts give out of their stories of redemption. Maybe even one day to see teams of former drug addicts and prostitutes sent out to the nations of the world. The places where American passports can't go, but Mexican passports get pretty easily. That's my hope
0: for Boys Town. I love that woman. She's amazing, isn't she? I just find that such an inspiring story. I love the fact that the first thing she did when she felt called by God to move there, the first thing she did when she arrived was that she prayed. Did you hear that in the video? She prayed for 15 months. She walked around that city praying for 15 months, and I love that image of her just walking around the walls of that city, that dreadful place, and just walking around for 15 months seeking the presence of God for Boys Town. And it reminded me um, of the next installment of our story in Joshua, the the story of Jericho and what the the people of Israel do to take down the city of Jericho. It reminded me of that installment, and we're going to look at that um, this morning through the lens of prayer and the difference that prayer makes to situations. Um, just to kind of catch you up, maybe if you're new here, maybe you don't know the story so far that we, we've been looking at, and we're in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament and we're looking at the story of the Israelites, God's people, and he's promised them this land. And Joshua is the story of how they kind of move from wandering around in the desert, making a mess of things, how they move in to the point of taking the promised land. Um, and so far we've looked at how they kind of get to the edge of the promised land, they send some spies in, the spies come back with kind of favourable report of, of what, the, what the promised land is going to be like. And then they cross over the River Jordan, and it's a bit like the moment when they cross the the um the I will say the Dead Sea. It's not the Dead Is the Dead Sea no? Red Sea, that's why, sorry, Red Sea. Thank you, everyone. It's a group effort this morning. When they crossed the Red Sea, it's a similar moment with the River Jordan where, they, um, where God stops the waters and they walk over. And then at this point in the story, they're, they're kind of camped out on the plains of Gilgal. Um, and they are looking, they can see from these plains of Gilgal, they can see this walled city of Jericho. This was the first place, the first kind of people settlement they would have come to um, in the land that God was giving them. So the Israelites are camped outside on these plains of Gilgal, and they can see Jericho. In the distance, this walled city, this kind of mighty fortress that was Jericho. And it's at this point manna from heaven stops. God has been giving them food from heaven, this bread from heaven. Forty years they've eaten manna, and it finally stops at this point which is probably a good thing. I think they were probably a bit relieved. No more, I can't face it. And it stopped at this point. And it was that kind of symbol that God didn't need to provide for them in this way anymore because they were stepping into a new thing. Because for what God was about to do as they moved into the promised land, they didn't need manna anymore. They're going to be able to use the land to provide for themselves. The people of Jericho were on high alert. The Jerichoans had like shut the walls, shut the doors to the walls. No one was going in. No one was going out. It was a total lockdown in Jericho. If you were Jerichoan, it's a bit like you know last week in the snow. You were locked in. No one's going anywhere. Um, And um, so yeah, they are on high alert. And the people of Israel, I say, are looking at this city looking at this walled city, um, and waiting to hear from God. The question, I think, that would have been on their hearts and minds, looking at this mighty, slightly kind of um, scary, intimidating-looking place of Jericho, I think the question on the Israelites' hearts would have been, how on earth are we going to break open a walled city like Jericho? How are we going to do this? And they wait, and then God turns up and tells them how they are going to do it. We're going to pick up the story, Joshua 5, verse 13, the fall of Jericho. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and and its fighting men. March round the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march round the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, make the whole army give a shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So then Moses, uh, Moses Joshua takes his instructions and he goes and shares them with the people of Israel. And then they really faithfully carry out those instructions. And then so if we skip down to um, chapter 6, verse 20, it says, When the trumpets sounded, this is on the seventh day, When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so everyone charged straight in and they took the city. So at the beginning of the story, they're waiting, thinking, how on earth are we going to do this? How do we crack open this city? And God turns up and he gives them these kind of bizarre instructions. They've got to walk around the walls of this city. They've got to do a loop. Um, And then for the next six days, they've got to do that every day. So do a loop around the city and come back. And then the next day, get up and do it again. And then on the seventh day, they've got to do this loop um, seven times. Now they're carrying, as they go around, they've got to carry the Ark of the Covenant um, with them and the priests. um, They've got uh, seven priests in front of the Ark of God, blowing, oh, carrying trumpets as they go around. On the seventh day, they actually get to blow these trumpets. So on the seventh day, they walk around seven times blowing the trumpets. And then when they've completed their, their seventh circuit, they blow on these trumpets really, really loudly, and then the walls were gonna collapse and everyone rush in. And that is what happens. So how do you open a walled city? How are they gonna break open this city? With the presence of God, that's how. With the presence of God. It's the presence of God that breaks open this city. That is key to understanding the story of Jericho. The Ark of the, of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord that they're carrying around, that is symbolic of his presence. That was filled with his presence. And so literally they are carrying around, the priests were carrying around um, on poles, they weren't allowed to touch it, on poles, carrying around this Ark of, of the Lord. And they're carrying it round and round and round. Um, the, for seven days they carry it around these walls. It's the presence of God that's going to break open the city. And the Israelites can have that courage from heaven. It's what we're talking about in this Joshua Joshua series. We're talking about courage from heaven. And they can have courage from heaven as they walk around um, the city of Jericho. Kelly Green recognised this um, when she turned up at Boys Town. She recognised, you know, I can have courage from heaven here. This is scary, but I can have courage from heaven because God has called me to this place. And it's the presence of God that I need. That's what I'm going to seek for Boys Town. And she marched around for 15 months the Israelites to have courage from heaven. I feel like God is encouraging us to have that courage from heaven, realising that it's God's presence that's going to break open the city. It's God's presence that break opens the city. And I feel like for us as a church, coming to this point in the story of Joshua um, is, is kind of symbolic um, for us. It's a deeply profound moment, I think, for us as a church, as we've got to this point. And we've been talking about how we feel like as a church, we're in a Joshua chapter. We feel like the, that God is speaking to us as a team and as a, hopefully as a wider church family through the book of Joshua about this next chapter we're going into as a church. Um, for those of you that are new maybe don't, aren't aware from September we're going to um, launch a site from here um, so we'll have the gate site here and then we're going to launch a site into the north of Cardiff so we'll have two sites and we're going to become a multi-site church because we feel God has called us um, to do that and, and, and through doing that we feel like that's the way we are going to break open this city we feel that like that is the way that God is calling us to reach this city for his name for Jesus um, so we're stepping into that and we're like, we're like on the plains of Gilgal at the moment looking at it thinking that's quite scary um, And, you know, we've just had our prayer week as a church, and I feel like that's come at a really significant time in terms of looking into this chapter of Joshua and the story of Jericho. Um, Last week, we had a whole load of prayer stuff going on. We had prayer walks each day. We had um, some prayer gatherings in the evening. We've had, you might have got, hopefully got some emails with some, um, like, devotional material. We've had so much prayer going on this week. Um... It's been a really, really profound week. And I feel like um, it's like, I was going to do this talk at the beginning of the week to kind of almost be like, yes, yeah, so let's get involved in prayer week this week. But actually, um, I think there's something significant on doing it at the end of prayer week of like, this is just the beginning of pursuing God in prayer for this city. That's just the beginning. Prayer, we haven't done it. That's not us done until next, next year, and we say, oh yeah, prayer, we should do that. Let's do that again as a church. It, the, the sense of coming back to it this morning is, that was just the beginning, and to invite um, us as a church to continue to pursue God's heart for this city. And it'd be really easy for us on a human level to start making plans, and we have started making plans, of how we're going to get to September, what that's going to look like. We're going to be talking about those plans in the next few months with, with, with you all. Um, we are excited, but actually, first and foremost, God is asking us to pursue his presence for this city, to get on our knees and pray and pursue, ask for his presence as he leads us on in this next chapter. We need to recognise that it's God's presence that's going to win this battle. It's God's presence and that is why we need to seek it. Um, there's a, in the next chapter of Joshua, there's a, um, David Pike's going to talk on it next week um, and um, it's the battle of Ai or Ai, Ai, and, um, and it's a story, it's a good warning for the Israelites because they go and they look great, we've got Jericho, off we go and they go to take Ai um, for the Lord, but they don't, um, they don't get on their knees, they don't pray, they don't, purf, uh, they don't purposefully seek his presence for what he wants to do in the battle of Ai and it all goes wrong and in that moment they have to learn, we are only going to do this, we're only going to Achieve. We're only going to move in and and take over this promised land with the presence of God going in front of us. That is the only way we're going to do this. We can't do this in our own strength. And I feel like there's that great reminder for us as a church, we can't do this in our own strength. It's crazy to go multi-site. Just think of the logistics. You don't have to. We will. But it's it's crazy, except we think it's what God's calling us to. And we believe that we need to seek his presence, that his presence will go ahead of us. We need to seek it. Um, We need to realize we can't do this in our own strength. And prayer is about recognising that we can't do this in our own strength. That we can't, how dare we think we could do this in our own strength? We can't do this in our own strength. Um, and realising this is what drives us to pray. And when you know, God gives you a vision for your life, a calling on your life, that should, make, that should drive you to prayer. it should make you hungry and thirsty to pray. Because when God gives you a vision for life, you can never achieve it in your own strength. So when you feel a sense of God's call in your life, a vision that he's given you, that should always first and foremost drive you to prayer because you need his presence to achieve it. Pete Gregg says this, when the church becomes so hungry for more of God's power and presence that we finally turn to him in persevering prayer, seeking his face day and night, we can be sure that the Lord will not be slow to act. Can I ask you a question? How hungry are you for prayer right now in your life? How hungry are you to be in the presence of God? Do you feel that hunger, do you feel thirsty for it? You know, we had um, our prayer week last week, as I said, did you feel like, yes, amazing, or did you feel like, oh, really? No small group, oh. How hungry are you for prayer right now in your life? When Matt and I were asked to be associate pastors here at Cardiffinia, we were, it's lovely to be asked, isn't it, oh great, really, lovely, lovely to be believed in. But I've gotta be honest, the overwhelming emotion I had was a feeling of, feeling overwhelmed. Um, We had a couple of staff days back in September, And we'd just told the staff team that Nathan and Ruth were planting a church in Falmouth. And and James and Jen had asked us to be associate pastors. And we were having a time of worship as a staff team. And I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. And the the picture I had was of a mountain. And I was saying to God, you know, I feel like I'm at the bottom of this mountain and you're asking me to climb to the top. And Lord, I don't know if I can do it. And those of you that know me, I'm not very good at climbing mountains. Not really my thing. (laughs) Um, I had genuine fear. And I was like, Lord, what do I do? Can I do this? And I felt God say, no, you can't do it. Not if you continue to do this in your own strength. No, you can't. If you do it in my strength, you can. And for me, that was the beginning of a journey that I have been on in my own prayer life of seeking the Lord's presence each day, of spending some time with Jesus every day. And it's been a real journey for me. And I've had like, you know, I've been a Christian for quite a long time, like 20 years. And, you know, I've had different seasons where I've kind of really engaged in having regular time with the Lord each day. And it's been a bit of a mixed bag, if I'm honest. It's not something that I'm such a kind of, you know, that comes as naturally to me. But the last, kind of, you know, the last few months have been an incredible time. I feel like God has blessed me so much in that time because I have genuinely felt hungry and thirsty for God. And I had a few weeks ago, we had family staying. It was one of those crazy weeks where like, um, yeah, my, my in-laws came up to have the kids in half-term and it was like the house was just loads of stuff going on. And I, didn't, I had a couple of days where I hadn't just sat down and had a bit of time in God's presence on my own. And I felt, for the first time that I could remember, I felt thirsty to be in his presence. I was like, Lord, I feel desperate. I need to be in your presence today. And I went and sat and spent some time with with Jesus. I don't normally feel like that. I feel like I'm in a place in my life where I'm just desperate. I'm like, Lord, I can't do this without you. I need your presence. And you know what? If you're here this morning and you're like, I am not thirsty for prayer in that way. I don't need the presence of God in that way. Then can I ask you, just an invitation this morning, ask God to give you a vision for your life that needs him in it. Ask God to give you a vision for your life that needs him in it. So prayer is about pursuing the presence of God. It's also about partnering with God. You know, prayer is not inaction. If you're a doer like me, I'm a doer. Um, I sometimes have always seen prayer as, like, in my past, it's like, say you're going to go out and do something, and you're like, oh, yeah, we should really pray about it first. Let's get that over and done with before we go and do the thing. We kind of like seeing as prayer is as the kind of, the, the kind of un, the necessary step to then go and start doing. Um, and I've, I've been realising, journeying with God, realising that prayer is action in itself. Prayer is action in its own right. Um... Often we don't think that prayer really changes things. So I think if you, if you, like me, think kind of prayer is the thing that you have to get through to go and do the thing, it's often because of misbelief that prayer doesn't actually change things, that prayer is an action in its own right. But prayer changes things. If you felt apathetic about prayer week last week, maybe it's because you don't think prayer actually makes a difference. Do you realize that prayer changes things? We had a verse for, the, for prayer week last week that came up from someone that was doing one of our prayer walks from Matthew 16, 19. Sorry, I haven't given this to the media so it's not going to come up. But, um, and it was about the bit where Jesus says to his disciples, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. What you pray for on earth is going to happen in heaven. That will change what heaven does as a result of what you pray on earth. And that's the word we had for prayer week last week that we were pra- to pray blessing over the city and that, that then God would release blessing on this city. Um, there's something that happens when we pray. It affects the things of heaven that then affects the things of earth. Um, God changes things when we pray. It's, it's interesting thinking about, um, yeah, um, about, uh, about prayer. If you think at this point in the story of Jericho, God could have gone in and just kind of um, broke open those walls on his own, couldn't he? He could have done that. He's powerful enough just to break down those walls. He didn't need them, uh, the Israelites, to do anything. But instead in this passage, we see he's inviting them to partner with him Um, in the doing. Um, The Israelites didn't just stand back, they were invited to participate in what God wanted to do. Um, And in that moment, um, they got to realise that they weren't, um, that they were going to do it in God's strength. They got to realise that intimacy and joy of, of seeing God move among them on that day. They got to be part of the story of what God was doing. Prayer is action in itself. Um, this week, we had our, our prayer meeting here on a Thursday night, and we were praying for the city, and uh, it was a bit random. I thought, who thinks Christians are weird? If they'd been here on Thursday night, they might have thought that, because um, we, like, we did like a line, and we prayed around the floor here, and we were just walking around in a big circle, praying around, and it was a bit like that moment in Jericho of praying around, saying, Lord, give us the city for Jesus. And as we were praying around, we were, it said going back to that, that like keys of the kingdom, saying, Lord, you release, we're going to pray on earth that you'd release something in heaven. We're going to start acting now by praying. Um, prayer is partnering with God Dallas Willard said this prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together what we are doing together prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together so prayer is action it changes our situation it changes things and it also changes us it's so often the case that um, in doing the prayer we then become the prayer in doing, we then become. You know, we, we pray for the lost, and then we go and share our faith. We pray for those that have less, and then we go and share things with others. Um, we pray that God would move powerfully, and then we go and be part of that. Um, it, we become the prayer itself. So God, uh, through prayer, God changes us. He changes the situation, and he changes us. So it's about partnering with God. It's also about taking authority. It's about knowing the battle is already won. What's amazing about this story, I don't think I'd really realized before, but... Um, there's no doubt when you read the story of Jericho, we know the story, but there's also no doubt is there that God is going to be victorious here. There's never a moment where you think he's not, he hasn't got this, is there? It's that moment, for some reason they put it into chapter 5, the moment where um, Joshua meets with the commander of the army of the Lord. And actually that's part of the beginning of the story of what God does in Jericho. And we see in Joshua 5.13, this moment where Joshua has this encounter with the mighty presence of God. And he's told to take off his shoes, this is holy ground. It's a bit like the moment where Moses met God in the burning bush, like really similar language. And it's this profound moment where Joshua meets with the presence of God. And from that moment on to then God giving these like really, really bizarre instructions, (laughs) there's no doubt that God has got this, that God is going to win the battle. Joshua knows that he's not going to be marching in his own authority. He's marching under someone else's authority. And in doing so, that this battle is won. That there's no doubt who is going to win this battle. That God is going to win this battle for his glory. He's going to win the battle over the forces of darkness over this demonic cult that was in Jericho at the time. You know, Jericho was, um, was it's called Jericho because it's from the word moon. And it was um, the, the city, they were, full, they were moon-worshipping people, the Jerichoans. And they were a cult that was full of demonic evil practices. You know, they regularly practiced sexual abuse of children, child sacrifice, horrendous, horrendous practices going on in this cult of Jer- in Jericho. And God was like, I'm going to be victorious over that. I will win this battle over the demonic and I think Joshua still would have felt well. I can't work it out. I can't. You tell me. I can't work it out whether Joshua would have like walked around feeling like woohoo, let's do this, or whether he would have felt nervous, silly. Maybe on different days he felt different things. I don't know. I can't. I can't work it out. But I do know that he would have had a deep reassurance that he was going to win, because God was going to win this battle for His glory and for His name. And do you know, we have a battle over this city. We have a battle that God is inviting us to over this city, a spiritual battle over this city, against the forces of evil that are all through this city, through the institutions and individuals' lives, the darkness, despair, depression, anxiety, evil that we see throughout this city. We have a battle in this city, and God is asking us to partner with him, knowing he is going to win. He, he will win. You know, I read on the BBC News this morning um, this awful story about um, people had been sent these letters, I'm not sure if anyone else saw this, these letters about a day of hate towards Muslims, and it was like these were things of this is what you could do to someone, if you see a Muslim today, do these things. Um, and this, um, this, uh, this awful organisation sent them out, and they listed the cities they'd been sent out to, like Bradford, I think it was, Leeds, London, and Cardiff. I was like, Lord, not in our name, not in your name, Lord Jesus. We have a battle to fight. But we know who is going to win. God has given us authority because it's his authority. And the devil loves to limit our prayers. I found this saying, which I, couldn't, I can't work out who said it, but the devil loves to limit our prayers because he knows our, our prayers limit him. He loves to limit our prayers because he knows our prayers limit him. If you chat to anyone on the prayer team about the last couple of weeks they've had in organizing prayer week and running prayer week last week, they face the most amount of opposition because the devil does not want us to be praying. He knows that as soon as we start praying our prayers limit him because our prayers are not in action they are action and they limit the work of the enemy. Martin Luther said this, he who prays is fighting against the devil. The best thing we can do therefore is to put our fists together and pray. We can have all authority because the battle is already won. Lastly, prayer should be about fixing our eyes on Jesus. Prayer is always about fixing our eyes on Jesus. You know, the point of prayer, it's not an end in itself. The point of prayer is not prayer in itself. It is is about fixing our eyes on Jesus. The vision is always Jesus. The vision is always Jesus. We pray because the vision is Jesus. More of Jesus in this city. The vision is always Jesus. It's our love for Jesus that should drive us to prayer. And it's in prayer uh, Jesus reveals more of himself to us so that we've got more of him to share with others. The vision is always Jesus. The theme for prayer week last week um, came from Hebrews 12, um, and it talked about um, fixing our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, verse 2. Um, and the kind of tagline was, fix your eyes on him, fix your eyes on Jesus. It's so easy to fix our eyes on anything but Jesus, isn't it? It's so easy to take our eyes off Jesus. Can I ask you a question? What is it that you love about Jesus right now? In your heart of hearts, what is Jesus doing in your life right now that you love about him? What is it about his character, his name? who he is, what he did, what is it that you love? You might have got a good head answer for that, but what is your heart answer to that? What is God doing in your life right now? What is Jesus? What is it you love about Jesus right now? And if, if you think, I don't know, I don't know what and what, kind of, you know, what level my heart engages with that question, um, I can relate to that. I've had times where you know, I've fixed my eyes on something else. Maybe it's a good thing, it's something church-related, I don't know, but like, I'm not, I've stopped fixing my eyes on Jesus. And finding that kind of a difficult question to answer is a sign maybe you've started to to do that, to fix your eyes on something that's not Jesus. What is it you love about Jesus right now? And when we talk about our vision as a church, this Joshua chapter, going multi-site, all these things, it's really important that we never lose sight, that you never hear anything from us um, that that isn't that. Our vision is Jesus. Our vision ultimately is Jesus. It's more people coming to know Jesus. It's seeing more of Jesus, his authority over this city. The vision is always Jesus. And, you know, in the next kind of chapter we'll move into, we'll move from the plains of Gilgal into Jericho. We're going to um, start doing multi-site across this city. Um, and I'm sure we'll hear stories of, of, of all that God does. I'm excited about the stories that, of what God is going to do amongst us as a community in the next couple of years. Um, but I don't want to hear stories of how Cardiff Vineyard has changed people's lives. I want to hear stories of how Jesus has changed people's lives. The vision is always Jesus. It's not more of Cardiff Vineyard. It's more of Jesus. And that is why we're doing what we are doing. We want more of Jesus. I'm not sure if you know, but Jesus um, is a derivative of the name Joshua. They're the same name. And that name, Jesus Joshua, means God saves. And uh, Joshua, in many ways, is like a kind of a prototype or a kind of archetype or something. He's a model, um, kind of a... um, of of what Jesus was then going to go and do in an even bigger, greater way. Um, You know, when Jesus came, the new levels of freedom that Jesus would bring, that Joshua saw some of it in part, but Jesus, in Jesus we see it fully realised, the true freedom that Jesus brings, the walls that he does break down, walls of a different kind that Jesus would come and break down. And it's important we never take our eyes off Jesus. Prayer is always about fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's about pursuing his presence, it's about partnering with him, it's about taking that authority that he has given us because he has the authority. And it's about fixing our eyes on Jesus. Should we stand? I'd love just to pray.